You want to push someone close to the limit, but not over it. The only way to do that is to, at some point, push them over it and get a sense of what that is. Because if you, you can, you can perpetually keep someone below the limit that you think that they have, but in all honesty, we don't know what that is until they've reached it. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me today. I hope you are all doing well. It's September 1st, and this has been one long and yet short year. 2020, I'm sure you will agree, has been a wild ride so far. Today is part two of my roundtable coaching discussion with head physiologist at Wahoo Sports, Matt Casson. If you have not already listened to part one, I encourage you to go back and do so, as we do cover some pretty good stuff. We've gotten some good feedback, so it seems you're all enjoying the new season's format, and we're going to be doing more of these as as well as switching back and forth between the standard uh, interview process. So look forward to that. I've got some cool coaches coming on, um, and just to recap, this season is uh, focusing more on the coaches and how they work with their athletes and what they do to uh, give their athletes a training edge. Um, all right, so for today, part two. We are covering some pretty big topics such as mental training, athlete communication, and uh, doing workouts to fail. So enjoy part two of my conversation with Matt Casson. Giving nutritional advice as a coach, um, where are we on that realm? Like, are, what, do you, what do you think? Before, during, and after. Yep. That's where... I feel comfortable talking to athletes about nutrition because I know as their coach the demands of what they're about to do so I can give them guidance in terms of you are going to need roughly this amount of carbohydrate before you're going to need this amount of carbohydrate during and you're going to want this amount of carbohydrate, protein, and fuel afterwards. Outside of that scope, I, I if I ever... If an athlete ever persists and wants to talk more, I will, but I will absolutely say I'm not a registered dietitian. Like you cannot take anything I'm saying as fact, fact, even, I mean, it, it might be fact and it might not be fact. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can't like legal, like legally do not listen to me right now. This is, we're now just two friends talking about diets. Yeah. it, It becomes advice. I think. Um, and that's, that's exactly what I do. It's before, during, after I'm, I'm good to touch on. Um, and it's important to touch on. And then I always do like caveat of, all right, you want to lose weight. Great. That is beyond more or less my realm of expertise as far as truly telling you exactly how to execute that at a healthy, um, way. So, um, yeah, I definitely caveat with, I am not a dietitian or nutritionist. Um, you can be a nutritionist. You still shouldn't tell people stuff. <laughs> Dietitians are true. the ones you, 
Well, they're the ones who have a nice piece of paper that says the government approves that they can tell you what to eat. Yep. <laughs> but on that point, like, like as you were saying before about, you know, getting people to train, like training their nutrition intake during a ride, that's a very, that is a very good, good point. Because again, like so many of these different aspects, say it again, training <laughs> adaptation, you know, it's his slogan. It's, it's a good slogan. I'll get you a poster. <laughs> um, right. Everyone's told like, oh, you can take 90 grams of carbohydrates in per hour as long as 60 of it is glucose and 30 of it is fructose and, you know, have fun figuring that out for yourself. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, don't have too much fiber. Don't have like, there's all that stuff. What that grossly, it's actually, this just occurred to me that it's 90 for that and 90 RPM is also what everyone should pedal at. So the magic number. apparently 90 is just yeah. what everything should be always. Um, but you know, if you're a 45 kilo woman or a two, you know, 220 pound dude, like you're probably not both it's able different. to take in 90 yeah, grams and just like any other training you do, you can increase the amount of carbohydrates your body can take, take in the biggest thing I did. One of the biggest mistakes people make is, you know, they, they get ready for an event and they know like, Oh, I'm going to need to eat so much on this event day. And so they're just stuffing their face on the event day and then their gut just yeah, is about to explode yeah. because they haven't been doing that in training because maybe they've been trying to do fasted training so they haven't been eating on any of their rides and so when you get to race day yeah if if you haven't been putting 90 grams of carbs in your gut every hour why is it going to be okay with that on this one day so like that gut training side of things is is really important and it's I kind of have my inverse fasted rides where I'll explicitly say like, eat a really, really big breakfast and like immediately go ride. No, like two, three hour window, like get as much carbohydrate in your stomach and go ride because for the next three hours, you're going to not feel great. Your insides are going to be working overtime yep. to process or that. Trying to. Yeah. And again, the adaptation becomes your body says, Oh man, that was terrible. I don't want to do that again. Let's get more of these glucose transporters added to your intestine so we can handle that next time. And that's just another area of training that I think food's weird because everyone eats. Like not everyone rides a bike. Not everyone knows what threshold is. You know, all these different things that cyclists do are kind of unique, but every person on the planet eats. So it gets into this really weird realm of so many, you know, cultural things or like myths, all that stuff, pop culture stuff. Um, but in reality, your body's adaptable and you can train your gut just like you can train your legs. Yep. Yep. And just like within, um, building on a faster ride, it's the same when you're kind of building your gut it's, you know, maybe on a four plus hour ride or three hour or two hour or whatever, or just like ramp up just a little bit, how much you're taking on, um, be conscious of what it is, be, um, have a plan. Like I know it's a little geeky, but like know on the dime what you're taking on and know what it is and what fuel source it is and, and what ratio it is. And then, uh, learn, kind of figure out how your body responds to it. And if you feel good, if you do an effort afterwards and it's like kind of blah, um, and that's, and then you can continue building that to a like optimal range that you think you will need to do on whatever race or event or ride you wish to do. Um, it's, 
I find fueling on the food side really interesting. And I've, um, I talked to a couple athletes about this lately, but when you don't eat enough, you know, and you could have like a very obvious sign. And usually what it is, is it's within on the metric side. And then both on the sensation side, it tends to be like a switch has flicked where all of a sudden they feel like pretty depleted and kind of like junk. And you start seeing decoupling occur and you, and it's usually fairly obvious. Um, and then, um, but if you, if the athlete fuels really well, nothing happens. They just feel good all the way through. So it's just a variable that takes away that variable. And then all of a sudden it's, Oh, well, you know, maybe you weren't adapted for this output or this demand or whatever, but all of a sudden they get to the end of the rod and they're like, Oh, I don't want to immediately go in and slam, um, a thousand calories. Like I'm fine. Um, and I think that that it's a, it's hard to not have that like instant, uh, yeah, you did it right type thing other than you didn't feel anything. So you right. did it right. Right. Like you're, you're trying to pr- prove a negative at that point. Right. Like exactly. It's just not, yeah. When you feel correctly, it's either like, Oh, I was on a good day or those intervals weren't that hard or right. I'm just in really good shape when it could be like, no, if you hadn't fueled correctly, you would have cratered on the ride home. My tell is when I'm riding back, if I've bonked, I'll start waving at cars too, instead of just cyclists. <laughs> no way. Cause I just see something coming at That's me. That's hilarious. Like, Hi. What a friendly guy. <laughs> Man, my, yeah, my tell is definitely, I, I get home and I instantly am just like zonked. Um, and if I fuel correctly, I'm usually pretty good, like to communicate and operate, um, as a decent human being. It it becomes even like, to me, it really becomes way more important for the, the people who are are training around full-time jobs who who go and do a ride training session and they need to come back to work. Like that's, you know, something for. I mean, I'm, I'm sure both of us, like when in school and then in employment right after when you're still racing at a high level, like that balancing act and figuring out what works could be the difference between like having a good training session and getting all your responsibilities checked off versus having a training session that leaves you completely drained and then being like not even remembering that you went to yeah. your afternoon classes yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And I... I knew that whichever happened first classes or riding the second one would always suffer. So I always made sure I had afternoon classes. Nice. (laughs) I was the opposite. (laughs) I always made sure I had morning classes so I could just ride immediately right after I was whatever reason during school, I was really good at, uh, riding late. But yeah, the, I think the other thing that's really interesting is, when you have an individual who starts a ride at dinner time, or if they are adapted, they like have a regular cycle where they eat at maybe five or they eat at six, they get off work and they, you know, have dinner with their family. If you start having that athlete, then start to work out at that time. Usually you have, um, some, yeah, negative consequences for that action. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's just important to be aware of when you eat and for whatever reason, we have this thing ingrained in us like, oh, I'm so close to dinner time or I'm so close to lunch that I shouldn't have a snack or I shouldn't like make sure I'm ready for this workout. I should wait. Um, and I'm sure I can make it. Um, but it's like, it's not a big deal to transfer that over to be fueled for your workout and then to maybe not have that portion, um, later on or have it, you know? Yeah. I think that also brings up just a good, a nice side tangent 
this is a podcast with tons of side tangents. Dude, it's, it's everywhere. Amazing. It's every um, question. But yeah, just time time of day. Like that is something that just for anyone, if you're prepping for any sort of event, whatever time of day your event is, if that's not a time you normally work out, you need to start working out at that time. Yeah. So like that's really interesting for like the elite crit circuit in the U.S. because those are all twilight crits. So right, you you get a lot of those guys who take that circuit seriously. They're doing their hard interval sessions, you know, at night essentially. Yeah, like 9 p.m. And you get people who okay, if you're the big fondo you signed up for starts at 5 a.m. and you like to sleep in until nine on the weekends, well, you're gonna need to a couple times get up you know, early enough. So you n- go through that process and know what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. Get your gut going. Um, it's definitely, it's been interesting within the gravel scene becoming so big because all of those races start super early and they're mass events. So they, all of a sudden you have all these elite racers, um, racing at, I don't know, five or six in the morning. Um, when normally they're used to racing at like 10 AM or noon. Um, so that's been interesting to kind of work with different athletes of different demographics more on that. I mean, it's huge within the running world. I mean, that's like all running races start super early. Marathoners are very much aware of the concept of, you know, you need to train your body to be able to use the restroom in the morning. Um, and that's, if you don't, you're going to be noticing it quite early into the ride or, or event. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think that's been a new environment and new change. Um, yeah, because the elite crit scene was—it's such a small world, and then um, the Fondo scene's bigger. But yeah, that's—I totally agree. Yeah, get used to it. It's weird, but it's important. If you're fortunate enough to be able to just set your event time based off of when you like to ride, that's <laughs> another. We had um, when totally we, when we worked with like Ollie at GCN to do his hour record attempt. Like his his time to go was just because he was like, I always feel really good at ten o'clock in the morning. Yep. So we're like, okay, that's when. You'll go, we'll have your training be at that. We're not going to change. We're not going to change that to make it <laughs> anything else. Yeah. But for all of us else, <laughs> we have to train our body. Okay. Um, wow. I think we've only gone through, I think, two questions. Cool. I'm on my second question. Uh, I guess, all right. I'm actually going to skip ahead. Okay. Um, the use okay so mac works for um wahoo right now um who is and is also in conjunction so and correct me if i'm wrong um with sufferfest and um he's been doing that for quite a while as well um and most uh, i don't know how long ago but a little bit ago you talked to me about how you were adding um platforms to sufferfest that i found really interesting and, and they were yoga and i believe meditation or mental training mental training okay Mm -hmm. sorry um and i'm I'm curious after an extended period of time of that being introduced within that platform what did you guys learn like and and what have you uh what have you seen within response or from users or anything like that from having that on your platform i think um we also have strength which is it's more body weight circuit training because we don't want to limit it to people who have got a nice full squat rack in their basement um, but no, the, the, the response has been really amazing. There's, there's a perpetual and there always will be this hump of people who like see it and they're like, it's not for me. Like yoga isn't for me. I don't want to do that. Or like mental training. That's, you know, whatever. There's, there's no big difference there. Like I, I'm, it's not worth the time. What we found is that 
almost everyone who, who does a full yoga program or does the full 10 week mental training program, it becomes their favorite thing in the app. Like we've had like dozens and dozens and dozens of people say that, you know, they they like everything, but like the yoga and the mental training is like why they're going to continue to use the app like long into the future because it builds components that, you know, are essentially, it helps you feel better off the bike, not right. Like being more flexible from the yoga side of stuff that in itself is a really good form of meditation for a lot of people. It's so busy these days. There's so much going on. If you take 15 minutes, yoga is fairly relaxing. There are definitely some harder sessions we have, but a lot of them are just, you know, really basic yoga poses. They're almost all 15 minutes. So it's really not unreasonable to squeeze out 15 minutes. And for a lot of them, just taking that 15 minutes to slow down, like kind of take care of their body, get in sync with their body and see what's, Oh, like I'm actually kind of sore on this side or like, it becomes a really powerful time of self-reflection for them that they would have no other reason to take. And so that just the act of doing the yoga has been great for them. And then obviously there's the benefits to them doing it in terms of, you know, greater mobility, greater flexibility, you know, there's obviously improvements that can be made on the bike with that. If you can become more aerodynamic or whatever, but for a lot of people, it is one of those things where, you know, as you get older, all of those things, the range of what you're capable of doing drops down. And so if you're 40 and have never stretched in your life, then you're going, you've, you've got to, you can stretch a bit now and have a nice bigger range to like sink it back into when you're 90 or you just do nothing. And you know, at 75, you are completely hunched over. You can't really walk that fast. Like it's just, you know, it's about taking care of, of your body in that sense. And then same thing with the mental training. We've actually had a lot of people comment on how a lot of the tools that they've that we teach in that program they've been able to use in like their day-to-day life like a lot of it um you know there's like um, there's like positive thinking or thought redirection so like if a negative thought comes in you visualize a stop sign you take a breath and then you decide you know where that thought is going instead of just letting the thought run and so we've had a bunch of people say like my work life is so much less stressful because I'm able to use these tactics that like, yeah, this sudden emergency or issue, like if I can just stop it, think about it, it's able to, I'm able to better separate myself from it. Cause that's really, I think the thing that, I mean, I've struggled with it in the past thing. Everyone's struggled with it in the past of like separating yourself from the issues going on around you. Yep. Like a crisis at work becomes your crisis. But in reality, it's not your crisis. It's the crisis at work. And so you can, you, and the solution, there's probably only going to be one solution to it. But being able to separate the stress of this issue being yours versus just it, it is what it is and I need to figure out how to solve it and move on, that in itself can be very powerful outside. And then there's just a whole mass of other, you know, modules is what we call them modules in that that can really help um you know keep you on the right track so like you know one of them is to make it's it's that module is called remembering why and you make a big list of like okay you've set this goal at the very start of this mental training program write down all the reasons why they can be super small they can be 
really significant, but just get down 30 of them. And then you put those on a piece of paper and you fold them up. And then if you're like having a rough day and you're like, why am I doing this? You can pull that out and you have your own thoughts articulated and it helps you just like reset back to no, this is, I'm not just going to say F it and, you know, not go with this because no, this is why I'm doing this. And especially when it comes to, you know, there are plenty of people who use their app who are, you know, using it to get healthier. And so if, you know, for some of them, if like remembering why is like, so I can be old enough to see my grandchild, like you, you have that thought in the back of your head, but until you write it down and have somewhere where you can pull it out and have the, you know, the mental, like the mental tools to know, to go pull that note out. Yeah. It's something that is in there, you know, it's in there, but you don't recognize it. So I think, you know, the, the yoga and mental stuff has been really successful in a lot of people. If they get over the hurdle of, I don't need to do this, they, they get a lot out of it and it, they honestly get more out of it in day-to-day life than they do. Like the workouts. In riding their bike. Yeah. Like you, you, obviously the mental training stuff and the yoga, like it is designed to help you be more comfortable on the bike, more powerful on the bike to handle specific situations on the bike. Like if a workout's going rough or if your event's not going quite how you want it to go, it's all designed around that. But people have been really good at taking those lessons and just applying it to their day-to-day life. Yeah. It's more applicable. That's interesting. I mean, it's like consciousness. Yeah. Like just creating understanding and consciousness and just giving yourself time and probably having a little bit of direction of course to help mm-hmm. a ton um because if we all just say all right i'm going to take mm, i don't know a minute of every day and i'm just going to go and sit down and i'm going to think um in a positive manner on how to better my life and then like if you're able to do that like good on you but um usually it takes a little bit of directive and it takes like a, a guidance or a guiding hand to kind of like help you figure that out mm-hmm. um, and understand what to do with that. So I think that's cool. I think yeah. it's neat that you guys introduced that. And I've had a couple athletes do that um, yoga more than the mental side, but I think that's just because they found it or heard of it more or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'll have to suggest the, the mental side to them. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. We actually had um, this this past weekend. Um, we we helped the uh, uh, Nova Nordisk Team Type One development team. Normally they do a, uh, a di- talent ID camp every year, and yeah. obviously for the current situation they had to do it remotely. So um, we ended up being partnering with them to be the platform that they completed it on, and it was really cool that um, once the organizers of that got through the first, like they we gave them the app like you know six weeks beforehand. And once they got into it and looked at all the different aspects, they actually made the, the mental training modules. Basically, they, they did as many workouts and tests in our app as they did the, the, the mental, mental training, training. modules. Cool. Because they saw them as, as coaches like these, you know, who have experience with young, like people coming up through the sport, like Town ID, like where you're at in that mind space. They saw that there was tr- going to be a tremendous value. Yeah, it's super important. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah, that's, that's very cool. All right. Next question. Next question. So you touched on this briefly with, believe it was the fasted topic, but 
communication in terms of as a coach, right, we're expected to get feedback from an athlete about how they're doing. Do you have a set, you know, sort of guidelines that you give out or do you let them or do you try to learn like their lingo? Like a good, like to me, it's funny, like the original RP scale, the Borg scale goes from six to 20 because 6D is resting heart rate and 200 is max heart rate. And so obviously RP is just associated with heart rate, but you know, people will use the one to 10, like training peaks now has their smiley face, frowny face, Gosh, those things kill me. crossed eyes thing. Yeah. Um, and so again, like with on the fasted ride topic of like, my point is, is communication is really key with that. And again, those athletes, I need to understand their, what they're telling me of how they're feeling. So how do you go about like opening up that communication channel Just and piece, is it yeah. is it different for each athlete or do you kind of prefer to guide them towards this is how i is easier to communicate with us yeah um this has been huge i would say and i had an athlete consultation today um and i pretty much within all of my new athlete consultations they communication is like the biggest thing that i immediately harp on um I think you guys can hear my dog walking around. <laughs> He's adorable. He's, yeah, sorry. He's got little popcorn feet. Um, yeah, so communication is the biggest thing that I harp on. And I've found if you present that early on, it'll get it in their mind. Oh, how am I communicating? Am I communicating enough? Because um, that's also one of the big questions I get is like, all right, well, what, how, in what ways do you want me to communicate? Or what do you want me to tell you about? And usually my response is, very rarely do I, I actually, I don't think I've ever told an athlete you are giving me too much information or you were telling me too much. Um, some of them definitely have. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's possible, <laughs> but I'm not going to like, I found it's better to not discourage that and just like sort Absolutely. through the information and take the time rather than to, uh, you know, limit what they're giving you. Um, well, the first few, like I look back at like my first, like four years training with Neil there's a novel for every single workout yeah. he gave me and just kudos to him for, and for going through all for that. Going through that. I, yeah. Um, I used to have an athlete that would tell me like, uh, like how their date went the previous day, essentially. Um, and stuff like that. And it's like, okay. Um, but basically what I tend to do is start out the relationship in a good place is to start out the relationship with communication heavy forward. So like, you know, you have, um, a lot that you're doing from the start, you're getting to know that individual and you're creating that athlete coach relationship, um, and making it really strong from the start. Um, and I'm lucky in the fact that I think that, you know, one of the things that I'm good at is, uh, figuring people out and reading who they are and how they um, respond and, and what they, uh, how they communicate. Um, and sometimes there's going to be athletes that just don't communicate um, or there'll be athletes that maybe you don't communicate well with. I mean, you have to like kind of, it is a relationship and you guys have to do, you need to, it has to be the right match. Um, and there has been athletes that I've turned away and said like, Hey, I just don't think we're the right fit. Um, so that's when the, you know, initial bit is really important. Um, and then from there, 
the one thing I've like kind of struggled with um, quite a bit is the concept of you know you are a coach you are getting um, paid for your time so you have to allocate that time in the correct correct manner um, and so that means that you have to kind of rely on the athlete to communicate in certain ways so the nice part is you know within myself as a coach and my company we don't limit how much an athlete can communicate with us if they reach out as long as it's kind of like a simple fix or a simple thing that they're you know presenting to us so maybe it's like they got sick or something like that um and then we can go in and kind of take a look and and make sure the athlete is in a good place and progressing and at the right rate um the worst is if you have an athlete that doesn't communicate and that gets dropped and then they are you know behind a whatever amount of time because of that scenario um, and I've also noticed whenever communication starts to drop on an athlete coach relationship, it, the whole relationship just kind of disappears and they might as well just be on a training plan. Um, so that's kind of like when you have to be able to read people and figure them out as you go. Um, I, I think that was kind of like a roundabout answer. Um, but basically what I tend to do is from the get go, try and understand who they are as a person and try and create that relationship um, ask that it's, it's a two way relationship. It's not just the coach being like, Hey, did you do your workout? Hey, did, how did you feel? Hey, Hey, Hey. Um, it's also like, Hey, you need to give me feedback, um, or else this isn't working. Um, and then you have to kind of like take their feedback that they're giving you and then say, Hey, like, how about this? Like, did you feel like, okay, yeah, you said you felt strong throughout the ride. Um, or maybe you didn't feel great. So you get a feedback of, I didn't feel very good today. I didn't feel strong. And then I, I'm like, okay, well, did you not feel good the whole day? How about the rest of your day? Was your breakfast really bad? Or like, did you stay up until 2 a.m. the previous morning or like previous night? Like what happened? What were the variables? What was the information? How can it be applied? Um, and then eventually you get athletes to the point where they're, they're thinking about like, all right, well, what variables could have provided this outcome? I felt bad today. Well, where could that have come from? Could that could have been like, oh, my, my nutrition was bad or I have life stress or I have work or, um, you know, whatever. Um, and it's important that you get an athlete to that point because if you don't, then you're always just bugging them for, for different answers. Um, and once you get them to that place, then um, they're, you know, bettering themselves and they've kind of learned their training and they've kind of helped that side. Um, so I would say like, and that usually takes a pretty long period of time to grow an athlete too. Like I would probably say that takes a year to two years to get an athlete to like the point where they are, um, giving you all the information and they're really figuring out their body and knowing what their sensations are. Um, and I would say I like regularly work with athletes on understanding what sensations they're feeling and where that's coming from and why, and like listening to their body and, um, like knowing what their output is without having to stare at a number, um, and knowing how that's affecting them. And I think that like, that is huge and it all stems into communication. Um, so I guess it's a path with every athlete I start with, it's a path and it's, it usually is fairly like front heavy. I'm nagging a lot more at the beginning or I'm asking for particulars. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone has their own communication style. And even if you request, at least what I've found is even if I request a certain, piece of information they might not be able to communicate it in the right way or i might not be able to understand how they're communicating like it might be on me um so it's it's all just like finding that wavelength and sticking to it and and being able to 
somehow mesh. And, um, that's the interesting thing as a remote coach is you like, I work with people, athletes from all over the world and you, it's a different culture. Like you might be, uh, you know, breaking through a language barrier. I've had athletes in the past that probably speak six words of English and I certainly don't speak anything but English. So it's like, it's, he barely speaks English. uh, That's correct. (laughs) Obviously. Um, no, like it's, it, it, but that, that is what makes coaching so intriguing. Um, and like why I'm always a coach that will probably always be, um, data is a huge tool that I use, but then communication and, uh, sensations and mental health is, is just as even. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think, yeah, you, you definitely touched on all the points I was looking for, so I don't have much to add, but, <laughs> um, essentially, yeah. Like the, the communication thing becomes, you know, one of the, the main thing that I can, that I'll struggle with initially with, with people um, is, you know, getting, getting the sense of, you know, their own internal scale, what verbiage do they use to mean a specific sensation? And so for some of that stuff, I'll try to, you know, like, Oh, like it, those intervals were super hard. I'm, and I'll often be like, okay, was it like, was your breathing rate super high? Like were your legs really burning? Like try to like suss it out so that they understand like, okay, which component of like, if your RPE of that was 10 and you consider that a bad interval, like what component was bad sometimes? Maybe it was all bad, but maybe it's like, oh no, like I was breathing out my eyeballs, like my legs felt fine, but I just couldn't breathe anymore. Like that tells me something drastically different than, oh, my heart, like I wasn't even breathing that hard, but my legs were about to explode. Like those, those two scenarios are so often described as I felt really bad on the intervals today. And so sussing that out like takes takes time. And I, and I bring that up because one of the, I, I, I enjoy some unique clientele from time to time. And so one, one person I coached for about a year and a half was a, an AHL player. Um, so he was trying to get fitter for hockey. He used str- like strength training, running and cycling as his off season training. And so I was responsible for getting his off season training sorted. And the terminology that he was using to communicate to me how he was feeling was so vastly different than anything cycling related that it really took some time of like sussing out like okay when you're saying like those intervals were hard because they were burning like what are like what are you meaning your lungs burning are your legs burning when you say like oh i'm like i feel like i'm gonna like feel like the legs are gonna give out at the end of the interval it's like okay are they going to give out because they don't have any energy? Are they going to give out because they're on fire? Are they going to give out because you feel like you've lost coordinate? Like there's all the, there was all these different layers of stuff. Um, and that of course, like there's the whole mental component of, wow, all of this is going on. He has to have a stick and try to avoid other people and like <laughs> try to get a yeah. puck into a goal. So like even that in itself is like, okay, well maybe, oh, that practice, you know, you, you can give specific sessions to them, but, um, you know, obviously with the, the multi multiplayer game, like there's, it's not nearly as straightforward as a cycling race or a triathlon or something. Um, and so like for that, what, what we started at was we basically, I just created a few different workouts across all three things he was doing 
And then once we got back in the ring on the ring, um, that I knew should elicit a specific response. So like super high cadence work on the bike or sand, like sand dune hill runs, right? Like where I know what that physiological response is going to be more or less. All right. So hold on. So that. Where did he have a sand dune just accessible to well, go he was, run? Like on like um uh, like the Carolinas. Okay, so all, like, right, all right, all right, like beach. Okay, beach run. I'm like just imagining like the great sand dunes. That was here that was specific because that was like a um <laughs> that was a vacation. So I was like, oh, perfect. You yes, some sand dunes. Clobber yourself, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and so that was like that took some time to develop. Like, okay, when I get, because I also don't want to, you know, be pestering for every workout like you want to get a consensus thing correct and at the same time since he's a remote athlete athlete doing a completely different sport like i don't think i can even skate without falling over (laughs) so like i can't speak to the sensations of what skating hard feels like um but so being able to you know for me it was more like figuring out what his verbiage meant in my understanding and just rolling with that rather than me trying to impose like, you know, what I'll do more often with cycling. Cause it's easier for me to break down and conceptualize like, Oh, was it this sort of thing or this sort of thing? Right, right. It really came down to like, okay, you're, you know, what I'm asking you to do is, is outside of my realm. But as long as I can make these connections to things within my realm and you describe them the same, then I can kind of map out, what that looks like and again it becomes even you can even get that with you know if you work with people long enough i'm sure you've seen like everyone has ups and downs like emotionally yeah you can you can see a definite change in someone's description of a workout 100 percent, just based on where they're at yeah emotionally and so like that's another layer of like okay understanding that this i know this athlete is like having going through a breakup right now and so like they're down and that you know they're describing their workouts differently but like they're hitting the numbers and things are okay so like adding that extra layer of filtering out because you're right like the communication is important because if they're not communicating they're just on a training plan they're not yeah getting coached and so that's funny that you say that um the the varying uh descriptions or varying feedback based off of how they're feeling or where their emotion um scale is at because I actually told an athlete the other day, um, and he is, you know, he lives in Portland, um, but he has a a place in bend. Um, and he didn't tell me when he went to bend one, uh, week. Um, but I knew immediately when he went to bend because his, his workout G- totally, well, outside of the, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's some yeah. deep sleuthing. Yeah, say. I know, man, <laughs> just a detective. No, it's, uh, outside like without even looking at power files or the gps map like i knew immediately that he was in bend because he was so much more chipper and his sensations were roughly more or less the same but it didn't matter it was like his just his verbiage within his feedback was just like so much happier um so yeah it's definitely interesting to read your athletes that way and and see that because you get to know them really well through even just feedback if it's good feedback um yeah but they, I've like the, as far as I guess the, if you're trying to get to know an athlete and you're trying to get to know almost their, I guess, descriptive scale of how an effort felt, 
I have had athletes where it took a, a lot longer to crack that. Um, I think we were just, just different people. It just took a little while. What I do that I found actually works really well is you start to change their workouts just slightly to try and figure out if you can change their sensations. So if you're like, ah, I don't know exactly if they meant this, but I think they meant this. So I'm going to change this and eliminate it and see if that gets them to feel better. And then most of the time it does. So that's kind of like the small little things you can do as a coach. Um, if the communication for whatever reason isn't like totally dialed or you're still building that relationship, you can do other things to kind of help uh, get that athlete there. And then maybe you might even teach them what that sensation is or what you were looking for um, so that you can get on the same wavelength again. So I've done that. Nice. Um, dang. Okay. Uh, I do want to touch on this one. We've been going for a while. Um, I'm probably just going to... I'm cool with this being a two-part. I'm probably just going to make this into a two-part episode. <laughs> I'm certainly not making it into one because, yeah. I feel like there's been some good stuff said. I know. I just, I hope people like our rambling. Um, all right. I love our rambling. I know. I know. Uh, okay. So I would actually like to go into COVID a little bit because I'm curious um, what you've seen on kind of like the Wahoo side um, or if you've seen anything at all. Um, and yeah, so basically coaching during COVID, um, the just varying athletes that you guys work with, um, you know, either within the lab or whatever it might be. Um, have you kind of like had any Wahoo athletes, uh, get sick? Um, what have you seen in general? Just, uh, experiences from this time. Yeah. So I, I think one of the main, main things that we projected at, at the start of all this, um, we actually had like a whole marketing campaign go about it. Um, but it was essentially like when, when this initially was hitting really bad, especially in Europe, um, which is like a decent chunk of our user base. Um, our stance, you know, you, you get people coming inside and so there's all of a sudden like, Oh, do Zwift racing. Oh, do a virtual Everesting. Oh, like do all this stuff that is really, really hard. Our, our initial stance was all of that. There's the J curve of immune system versus exercise stress essentially. And in normal circumstances, you know, it's, it's, if you don't exercise at all, your chance of getting sick is high. If you exercise some, it drops down. If you exercise a decent amount, it kind of goes back up to where it is if you don't exercise at all. And if you exercise a ton, you actually have a worse chance of getting respiratory illness from exercising. And so our initial stance and is still to some extent today that, you know, now is not the time to be putting in personal best weeks on the trainer to be like doing ridiculous things that you've never done before obviously like the Everesting thing is very popular and and most of the people who are doing that are very very serious pro like people who are setting the records are very very serious pros to the point where that's not shoving them up the j curve they're just maybe a little bumped over where it gets worrying is if you talk about you know someone who's like oh i wanted to do a fondo but instead i'm going to do Everesting and i haven't been able to train as much as I wanted because I haven't been outside, but I'm going to do this everything anyway. Like you get, you're, you're potentially putting people in a chance of being more susceptible to getting sick, which, you know, is we never want to do and 
normal times. But for these times in particular, it's like that's there's a much bigger picture going on. And so like to us, like, yeah, a, a decrease in fitness over this time period is a bummer. But in the wider scope of things, like there's more important things than your personal best up a climb or or Everesting your local, you know, hill. Um, it, it has been interesting that, you know, and this has been talking with some other um, coaches um, from like the world tour level, like, you know, there have been during a lot of these e-races, a lot of these riders, and as other coaches have said, like, I don't understand why they're all doing this, but a lot of them have been setting like lifetime best 30 minute, 40 minute, 60 minute powers during these e-races and you know it becomes oh that must be a trainer calibration issue or this that or the other and really it comes down to for those riders in particular how many times have you traveled internationally this year like the disruption like it becomes normalized for them right like if you're always used to just traveling internationally like once every month then you don't really appreciate the impact it has like the negative impact it has on you because it's just a fact of life and so you're getting guys who for the first time probably since they were 14 are in a stable environment where like they're literally not going outside of their norm their training volume is lessened because again it should be if you're inside the whole time um so the focus becomes more high intensity and then you're fresh because you haven't done a bunch of one day classics or like many stage races. And so obviously like in that sense, those guys are, it makes sense that they're hitting lifetime best, even though it's in a trainer with, which, you know, for just about everyone, you'll, you can hit higher power outside relative to inside. But I mean, that's their only outlet. That's all they have going on. And at the same time for them, the demands of their actual events, when they get back to world tour racing is not a 40 minute e-race, right? It's five hours and it's five hours for three weeks. And so the training those guys need to do to be fit for three weeks, obviously blunts that top end side of things. Yeah, definitely. So from that side, the world tour side, it's been a really weird thing where we're getting some of these guys like hitting their lifetime best numbers, but it, why should that be happening? But you put it in the context of, well, you're not going to hit those numbers at the end of the reel like Tour of Flanders because you've got 150K in your legs. Um, fortunately, like no, no Wahoo athletes or um, even any Wahoo employees have, have become sick during this time period, um, which has been, you know, very fortunate for us. But, I mean, I think the biggest shift that has happened has been there's so much more interest in training indoors. One, just from the lockdown, and then two... I think people are starting to see that there are benefits to training indoors specifically just from a time efficiency standpoint if you live in a city and it takes you 15 minutes of lights to get to a road that's remotely acceptable to do intervals on and you do those and then you have 15 minutes of road with lights to get back and that's being generous like most places are much worse than that right you can do the same workout on a trainer and chunk off 30 minutes right there and so it's it's been interesting that the indoor market, I mean, if you've, even if you look at like the Peloton stock prices, which tanked super hard when they launched, they're doing great now because yeah. people are stuck inside and they want to stay fit. So, you know, we're, we have been fortunate that we've been in a position to like help people do that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, 
I think that this time has been, um, yeah, just really interesting on a lot of fronts, especially like within the cycling industry and watching that has been really phenomenal. Um, and I hope it stays, um, as popular as it is right now. Um, I guess on my side, I've been fortunate. I only, um, have had one athlete test positive, um, for COVID. Um, he's been a really fascinating case. Um, it, you know, really did debilitate him for a long period of time. He was, um, out for a very, pretty long extent. And he, um, tested, well, he, um, got sick more along the earlier lines of, I guess, our timeline where we are now. Um, and he, uh, it took him a little while to get the test back and it took him a little while to know, um, for sure that he has, that he had COVID. So it was, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that it, it, by the time he knew he was already kind of at least getting back to being a normal, I guess, human being, um, on the recovery side, I, I basically, when we came out of, uh, him, and his recovery, he finally, you know, he got to the point where he was able to handle workouts again. He was able to start getting into training again. He was able to, um, and I would say over the last, you know, basically a couple months, we've fine, we've gotten him to the point where he's able to handle a three hour ride again, um, with, you know, pretty much all aerobic focus and that that's kind of what we stuck to. Um, but yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just been interesting to see his recovery and watch, him kind of rebuild um uh normalcy he is still fighting with breathing issues um and it has been i think he's two and a half probably three months out i think since his uh just getting the i think the, the positive test back so yeah it's definitely uh taken a huge hit on the on within his lungs and breathing capacity. And, uh, I mean, we don't have anything, uh, test wise to really show the negatives that have occurred, but yeah, he'll basically wake up some days and he feels great. He'll have, he'll wake up other days and he feels awful. And, um, we're working on it. We're working on, uh, different strength protocols to help with that breathing protocols, uh, he's working on, um, rides. The, The great part is seemingly, at least for him, uh, from what I can tell as, as his coach, he feels best almost riding. Um, and especially on his good days. So that's been super cool to see, but it was a very long process. Um, so at least from the coaching front, it's real. It exists. So, yeah. And I think that brings up such a fantastic point that gets overlooked in almost all aspects of, of healthcare and, and health is, you know, people respond to things differently. And like for me personally, this really became apparent um, when I was uh, taking anatomy lab at CU. We have real cadavers that are used um, in that class. And, you know, as we were going through, like you have your nice textbooks where it shows where all the veins are, all the muscles are, all the nerves are. And then when you get to the cadavers, that stuff isn't where it is in the textbooks. And so, you know, all of our questions was like, why is, why isn't this in the right place? And I'll never forget, like anatomy lab instructor said, well, like you all look different on the outside. Why would you expect to look the same on the inside? And 
just thinking that if you expand that down to like you look the way you do on the inside because of your genes and because of how you've basically handled life up until that point. And so it's, it's really the same when you look at how does your body react to a stress or stimulus, right? It's why some people can eat a peanut and be fine. Some people can eat a peanut and get a little rashy and some people can eat a peanut and die. Like just because it's the same input doesn't mean it's the same response. And so it gets, you know, for COVID in particular, because it's, I mean, it's the novel coronavirus, like because it's so new, we have so little data on the long-term effects. Yes, you're seeing studies saying that, oh, there's long-term damage to lungs or, oh, there's increased risk of, you know, mental illnesses in the future or there's, you know, or nothing happens. This person's completely asymptomatic. Like just because we're seeing all these different things doesn't mean that they're all wrong, right? People, it's not, not, if some people get long-term damage from COVID, that doesn't mean everyone's getting long-term damage from COVID. Like that's just, you, you need to accept that. That's the way the world works. You get people who smoke every day of their life and never get cancer. And you have people who never smoke a day of their life and they do get cancer. Like the frustration that's come out with COVID and maybe this is getting too political, but it's just that People are seeing the scientific experiment in real time, basically for the first time, in that we have something new, we look at it, we find results, we report them. New results come out, we report them, we use that to you know, look at previous studies that have been done, and it's this building process. Normally what, I mean, it goes back to that, um, that cadence report that the cycling media puts out. Like Normally what we see as the public is these finalized publications this you know the covid thing is we are seeing real time you know science happening and no it is messy it is wrong if any if a scientist came out and said my initial findings are 100 percent correct and indisputable and everyone else is wrong they'd probably be a terrible scientist and wouldn't be at a lab or at a university doing stuff for very long because the whole nature of science is to accept that we only know what we know and we need to test and continue to test to figure out. So, you know, it's, and it's honestly to that extent, people react to things differently. It's the same reason coaches exist in the first place, because if everyone reacted to the same thing every way, someone by now would have come up with a perfect training plan that everyone could follow to get where they want to go. But they can't because you and someone else can do the exact same training for three weeks and you get different results. That's literally every scientific study done on training has two groups, you know, do training, compares them, and everyone's different at the end. And so people need to accept and understand that people respond to things differently and know your cousin or your friend might have had COVID and been completely fine. You need to understand that someone's, you know, brother got COVID and stopped being able to breathe and are no longer alive yeah like just because your immediate sample size indicates that everything's fine doesn't mean you should act that everything's fine right everywhere yeah agreed <sighs> sorry guys <laughs> <laughs> oh man yes i 100 percent agree uh i won't yeah go farther into that 
Uh, but it's been interesting to see in light to everyone is different and everyone is, um, everyone reacts differently. That's been kind of what's been so, uh, and I don't want it to come across as it was like, uh, at the cost of, uh, my athlete having COVID, it was more just like, it was, I'm very, very grateful that he is better. And I'm very grateful that he is taking steps forward, um, to being how he was. And, um, yeah, but it's also been interesting cause it's something that, you know, I couldn't just turn to a coach next to me and say, Hey, have you had this happen before? Like, what did you do? What, 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 what did, like, how did, what worked for you and it it didn't work like it doesn't work that way and i didn't have that resource and um that was new and different and uh in a way exciting and um so it's uh it's been yeah everyone it has been a, a definite like real life uh scientific experiment of how do you respond kind of thing which is what makes it scary and unknown um but yeah, he is, he is slowly getting better. And I have, I have confidence he'll, um, yeah, be stronger than he once was. So I hope he gets there. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a good positive note. Yeah. To end on. end on that. Um, all right, let's do one more question. So what do you got for me? What's your best one? No, I feel like I shouldn't go. In, well, Maybe we can. We can turn it into metrics we use to track athlete stress because this basically encompasses your WHOOP, your Garmin recovery score, your TSB. Okay. Um, that's a pretty big can of worms. That is. A, so. That's a biggie. <laughs> so if you have a different question that you No, I think, honestly, that that's good. Um, man. I guess... Uh, um, there's a, there's a lot. Uh, so, okay. So I'm totally game to do another one of these if these end up being, but cause like a, three a, a secondary thing we could do would be, um, cause it kind of falls into the communi- coach communication thing, but was, um, we need to rephrase it differently, but like honesty with your athletes or basically testing your athletes, removing a, mental component as in like so for me i will explicitly look for times of the year i will give someone a training block that i do not believe they can complete and i will say nothing different to them about their ability to complete it if they fail to complete it it's sort of me being like okay this is their fatigue box this is like how deep they can go if they do complete it then it's okay wow i've been underestimating you a bit and we can probably move things up a bit. In both cases, I tell them like that next Monday or Tuesday, I tell them what was going on because obviously the person who fails it feels bad. The person who gets through it doesn't think anything of it, but it's a very significant thing in that I made that session, this block to break you. Uh, can you specify block? curious like how, a, like what the duration three, like of time three, is like a three week three weeks okay. like it's building up to the point where like normally like if the last weekend would just be one endurance ride and maybe a tempo day yeah but instead it's like a threshold day followed by like like some short vo2 start long endurance vo2 end i 
do it on a shorter end. I think I do it on a shorter scale. So like individual workouts or weeks where it's like, it is a testing basically week, not in the specific sense of like, all right, we're doing this exact effort to get this exact number and then we'll make use of it. It's more, I want to like see where their limit is and push them to that. Um, I don't do it for a month or for three weeks or a whole block. Um, I think I, I tend to, to be more hesitant on the mental side of that. Um, I do have athletes that would make it through that for sure. A hundred percent. Um, and they, they tend to be more on like the pro or elite end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I do have a lot of athletes at that, that. I think that that would break them and to the point where they would be discouraged. So it's a, it's definitely a balance. Well, so, so the thing, the thing I set up, like it's either that Saturday or that Sunday, like the final Saturday or final Sunday of a three week block that they'll hit that tipping point. Oh, okay. All right. So it's just barely. Like, yeah. It's barely like my goal is to like, over. I want okay. to like, got it. Not like the whole freaking. Yeah. Okay. No, it's not right, like cool. you're going to crater on day two every day. You're going to crater on day five of yeah. the 21 day. Block. No, it's like I set it up so that like the third week is a little bit harder than normal. And like the last two days of it are yeah. harder than normal. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I tell them ahead of time, actually. I don't cause I don't want them to get in the head of, Oh, this is supposed to break me. So uh, I don't phrase it that way. I think I phrase it like this is, this will push you and this will, this will challenge you. Hmm. Um, know that will challenge you and expect that, uh, you might be pushed, you know, farther than you have in a while and just like really you know, but give it a go, like see what happens. But you're giving them positive reinforcement in that it, case as well. I am. Yeah. I try to just be, he's just a plain ruthless, Jane neutral. ruthless killer. I'm just like, this is what we've <laughs> always been doing. Go do it. <laughs> this is like, you know, this is a recovery spin. Just do it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, that's interesting. That's really interesting. I, I think like I, um, I've been on the realm of like communication. I've been, uh, toggling between, um, you know, like when to tell an athlete what the purpose of the workout is and when to not, Hmm. um, because you want, like at times you want them to ask and you want them to know what the purpose or the execution is. Um, so ultimately they execute and they get that done. Um, but then there are also times where you want to lace things within a workout that you're not really wanting them to focus on. And because if they happen to focus on it, they might like basically over-focus on it and then you're missing another variable. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, I think like that's one of the things I've been working through right now lately. Um, especially during, uh, these times where essentially you have kind of like this blank slate that you can work with a little bit more than mm-hmm. more on the specificity side when there's more races to focus on. It's been, all right, I'm throwing this at you and this at you and this at you, but why are you doing that? And then, um, cause it's not the simple answer of like, well, it's what your race demands are. So, um, that's been interesting is to figure out what to tell the athlete and why, um, because it's sometimes you have to not put pressure on the workout and you can, you do have to kind of make it just like, oh, it's just another workout that you've done before. Um, when actually it's not, you're like probably doing it at twice the fatigue load or whatever it might be. Um, and yeah, I find that's, have you had to change that up at all? 
Well, the only, there's been one person who got through it and I'm like, yeah, I feel fine. And I was like, Jesus, I've been underestimating you. I am sorry. <laughs> I think he was, he was, he was definitely like pretty shattered, but he was like, because that's, and that's one of the like specific reasons for him. I was like, absolutely like, oh yeah, just get through this block. Cause he was very like, he was someone who'd like be super fatigued, super tired and be like, oh yeah, I got through it. It was fine again. So it's like learning that communication right, style of like, right. I know you're tired, <laughs> but you're, you have to be tired yeah, yeah. or else something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. But you just, you're just, you're, you're like, he was the one who's like, always played off like, oh yeah, I hit her all the intervals. It was fine. Or like, oh no, I didn't hit him. And would generally have a reason. A reason. It. it was never yeah. like I was scraping the bottle of, bottom of the barrel to get these intervals completed. Yeah. It's always like, oh yeah, I, I did them. And so, and then I've had other people who like, um, yeah, who, who are more like, oh, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. And again, we like it going like, okay, like here's just another block. Like just trust the process. Like, cause it's, I guess the, the bigger topic is just like the misinformation you give to yeah. athletes Yeah, because there are times where it's like, you know, from a psychological standpoint, you need to tell them everything's going fine, even though it's not. And there are times when you need to tell them that you're a little off, even if things are moderate. Yep. And it depends entirely on that, that athlete, that individual and your communication yep. level with them. And, but yeah, I'm just like, I think that's something that just in, in like talks with apex coaches, that's something I've encouraged explicitly for this time period where there are no races, there are no things going on like this is when you kind of probe and poke your athletes and see like what what do you have in the tank because i've been because our gen like the general philosophy you should follow is like you should always you know most workouts you should have something left in the tank and most blocks you should have enough energy to look at your bike the next morning right and not hate it <laughs> i think like the the concept of pushing an athlete to their breaking point it's an interesting one. It's the, I've also been toggling that one during these times because at least from what I've seen, and I would generally say that everyone has gone through this during the times of COVID, there's a lot more highs and lows, hundred percent. And there's more versatility within emotion and just in general health of uh, mental well-being. I mm -hmm. would say, mm -hmm. um, just cause there's a lot going on in this crazy world. Um, so like pushing an athlete to the, the limit can be the point of no return. Yeah. So yeah, definitely for this time period, this is not to just go wholesale. <laughs> Let's push everyone. It's the ones who are either emotionally stable, but just in general, once hopefully knock on wood that, yeah. this does go away at some point and some normalcy continues. I, I do think there's, there's value to essentially deceiving an athlete to find what their neutral breaking point is, right? Cause you have some athletes, if you give them positive reinforcement, they will go the extra mile. They will yeah, get through it, but then you either have to perpetually give that when they need to dig deep or you need to understand that they won't hit that same level if you don't give that feedback. And yeah. at the same time you have the opposite. If you tell someone this is going to be super hard, 
they're going to pull the plug when it gets a little hard. And so there needs to be some level again of like, it's almost like understanding your athlete and their communication style. It's, it's understanding where they're at mentally with being pushed. But regardless of those two situations, if you want to be able to, you want to push someone close to the limit, but not over it. Yeah. The only way to do that is to, at some point, push them over it and get a sense of what that is. Because if you, you can, you can perpetually keep someone below the limit that you think that they have, but in all honesty, we don't know what that is until they've reached it. Reached it. I think that that's a good, like a coach that knows the ability to find that limit without like mentally crippling the athlete is a, is a, that's a good coach. Like it, it shows to who they are as the ability to read an individual, the ability to read a scenario, the ability to read that individual's life and what they have going on. Um, and yeah, I mean, you gotta like, you have to make those decisions based off of who the individual is because mm-hmm. one person's line is way different than another. Like your ability to give somebody a, a really massive four week block um, that really pushes them to the physical limit. It might not be the same as somebody else's like limit that you're inching them towards bit by bit that, you know, might just take a single workout. So it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it, I think that is a huge selling point for coaches in general and, um, any profession that's kind of like helping you become a better individual compared to just trying to do it yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. you, um, there are very few people in this world that will push themselves to their own limit and continue to pursue that and know exactly when and where to pursue it. Um, and why, um, and do it. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, being objective on yourself is I, I'm a coach who's a, as a do as I say, not as I do as now a self-coached athlete, because I have such massive blinders on for myself that I've done some very ill-advised things myself that if there have been some of them where I've had athletes do them and I like come down on them hard for like, you're being very stupid right now. Stop doing that. Yeah. Even though I did that exact same thing five years ago. Yeah. I mean, but that's the power of it. It's like you, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Like at least when I was not for all of my mistakes, for a lot of my mistakes, I didn't necessarily have somebody that did crack down on me. I didn't have somebody that was like, that was the dumbest thing you've ever done don't do it again. You just sacrificed this or this because of that. Um, I didn't really have that on the sports side. Um, so every single time I do do that, even if I did make that same mistake, um, and this is especially applies to like when you coach juniors and stuff like that. I mean, you, like you are giving them that ability to maybe open their eyes a little bit faster than you did. Um, which is progressing them as an athlete. So, yeah. 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 I mean, I think, and that's, it's funny way back when, when you talked about me being the one to teach you about recovery spins <laughs> is that's like the first thing with any new athlete I come down on. That's always the first thing I come down on people on. Cause I'll be like, go do a recovery spin and I'll see them do it. At, we'll just do a short endurance spin and I put the hammer down <laughs> and it's like, it's the only time I've, I've ever, I ever feel like a hard ass coach of like, you're doing it wrong. That's not what you're supposed to do. That's not what I told you to do. You're screwing things up. Stop doing that. And it's for recovery spins. 
That's awesome. You're like waving your finger at them over a hundred <laughs> watts. I like it. Um, all right, dang, this has been a session. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to break this up. We are at two hours and 10 minutes of recording time. Um, so thank you, Mac, for joining me. Um, Thank you for listening. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, Please like let us know um, if you like this style of format, if you were interested in this conversation um, because we um, can do more. So yeah, let it, let me know. Um, But there, yeah, this will be a two part series that I'll kind of break up um, and hopefully you guys will get some good little nuggets out of this. um, Just hearing two coaches rant and ramble on. Um, but yeah, thanks again for tuning in. Um, and if you did enjoy our conversation, um, send, find us on Instagram. It's at training edge pod and send me a message. Let me know that you did enjoy it. Or if you would like to hear more, or if you would like to hear certain conversations covered. Um, but have an awesome week, everyone. Um, until next week's episode, keep finding your edge. 